0: Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God, dear children, and walk in love. Do you recall that rush of emotion that accompanies being in love? And guys, if your wife is anywhere close in sight, you need to be smiling and nodding yes to that question. You know, it's very difficult at times to articulate such emotions and such endearment. The children's film production, Hi-Ho, recorded and released a video of children describing to a professional illustrator their thoughts and their impression of being in love. And some of the some of the drawings that came out of this conversation were amazing. One little girl said to the to the professional illustrator being in love is like bubbles, so draw bubbles. Another little girl said, being in love is like a hug, so draw a hug. There was one young man who said, being in love is like hamburgers and french fries, so draw that. Now, I have no clue what that meant to his little mind. But one young man also said this, being in love is like Sprite. So draw a can of Sprite, because when you drink that, it tingles inside, and that's what being in love is like. Oh, I have to agree with him on that, and, and that may be my favorite. So guys, certainly I have given you some content for the inside of your wife's Valentine's Day card. Well, except for the hamburgers and the fries kind of thing. but But I'd like to borrow from this exercise the concept of illustrating love. Now, as the children told the illustrator and the artist how to uh, draw and how to demonstrate love, so God gives us instruction on how to illustrate and demonstrate love. But we are not demonstrating love on canvas or paper. We're demonstrating love on the canvas of people's hearts and lives, and God gives us clear instruction on how to, how to truly define and demonstrate love with our lives. So today I invite you to listen carefully to how God's word tells us to illustrate or to demonstrate love uh, in the lives of others. This is such a significant conversation that God desires that we have. And I would encourage you not to undervalue This whole concept of loving others as if it's overly simplistic and easy to understand. Because sometimes we need to really lean into how God is truly defining the expression of his love in and through our lives. Notice the divine continuity of verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. Imitate God as dearly loved children... And walk in love. Do you see God's desired continuity as dearly loved children, as we receive love from God, walk in love in every way in our lives. So this is how we demonstrate love. I welcome you to our teaching series, Walk in Love. And we will spend the next few weeks looking at familiar passages like the one before us so that we can better discern how to be God's illustration and demonstration of love in the lives of others. And please don't undervalue the the incredible importance of simply loving others. In fact, Jesus marked our love for one another as the most significant demonstration of our identity as his follower. In John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus said, People will know you uh, are my disciple by this that you love one another. So, today, uh, may we really have a fresh understanding of what our lives must look like as illustrating God's love. Uh, in the lives of others. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, the first two verses, is a wonderful reminder of how we are to walk in love. And the the chapter previous to to chapter 5 gives us an understanding of of the need of Paul's day concerning how followers of Jesus are to truly live in authentic love. There was a great need addressed in chapter 4. There were many who did not understand how to put off the wrong attitudes and the wrong actions toward God and toward others and how to put on the right attitude and right actions toward God and toward others. So the entire chapter 4 of Ephesians demonstrates how to put off the wrong and put on the new and this leads us into chapter five with the understanding of how to adjust our lives to the true measure of love. I'd like to share with you three specific metrics of God's love lived in our life so that we can make the appropriate adjustment so that we can put off what is not honoring to God and edifying to others and put on what pleases God and what lifts up others. So I'd like to share with you three metrics, three ways of measuring our love for others. This was so important in the church of the first century. It's so important in our lives today. So how are you loving others? How are you speaking into the lives of others? What are your words like? Are they edifying? Do they build up? Is your love a a mirror of God's love? So these are all Uh, Incredible questions that guide us into applying these verses before us. So let me share these three metrics with you straight from God's word that helps us to uh, apply uh, his truth so that we're loving as God would desire us to love. The first metric is simply the standard. This becomes the most foundational. So we need to measure our love for others by God's standard, not by our preference or what we think we can accomplish or, or what we think we need to do in response to others. No, we need to measure our love for others by God's standard. Secondly, we need to measure our love for others by our relationship with God. And then third, we need to measure our love for others by the lifestyle of love that scripture teaches. So standard relationship and lifestyle. These are the metrics. These guide us in how we measure and truly discern whether or not we are loving others well. Oh, we live in a moment where we desperately need to love others well and to truly mirror the love of Christ. Let's begin with the first metric, the metric of the standard, the foundational standard. Now to understand this standard, let's look at the truth of this standard and then how to apply this truth. Well, here is the truth of the standard of love. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. But the verse begins with the word therefore. So let's look first at the context to better understand the truth of this standard of love that we need to follow. The context begins... To unfold with this word, therefore, the term is actually fixed here to show that there is a conversation that is ongoing and will continue and become completed in verses one and two of chapter five. Now, we don't want to sit down right in the middle of a conversation and pretend we know the full message that's taking place. So we need to reach back a bit to better understand the context. And when we look back in chapter four, verse thirty one and thirty two, this is what we read. Put aside, take off all bitterness, anger, wrath, insult, slander, and and have that removed from you along with all wickedness and put on compassion and forgiveness toward one another, just as God has also in Christ forgiven you. The word therefore points us back to the conversation about our standard being God's love for us in Christ. Therefore, imitate God, chapter five, verse one says, because chapter four, verse 32 has said the way that we mirror and imitate God is by loving others in the way that God has loved us in Christ. So therein is the context, the standard represents God's love for us in Christ. There is no higher standard and and we should look no lower for the standard that measures how we are to love others. Now, from the context, look at the moral directive that we find here. This is so important. In chapter 4, verse 32, we read, Lay aside all bitterness and put on compassion. What is the moral directive? The moral directive is we must love with compassion. So the standard is God's love in Christ. But more specifically, the standard is God's compassion for us demonstrated through Jesus Christ. The term love has has changed and morphed into so many superficial expressions in our Western culture. And so we must look more specifically at how love is defined in the context. And from the context, we come to the moral directive of compassion. Our standard is God's compassion for us that was demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And not only the compassion, but his kindness. So therein is the moral directive. How am I to love? What is the standard? God's compassion and love. God's compassion and kindness demonstrated in his love made known through Jesus Christ. Now, from the moral directive, I'd like to point you to the to the expectation. We've looked at the context, the moral directive, and now the expectation, because the reference at the end of verse 32 in chapter four references uh, that God has made his love known in Christ. Every follower of Christ is accountable to that example. There is not one person who's received the forgiveness of God in Christ that can say, I don't need to love like Christ because the expectation is here. So loving with compassion, not just with word, but loving with compassion and kindness becomes the standard based on the context. And this is how we imitate God by mirroring His compassion and kindness. Those are the directives that are actually an expectation, not an exception. So don't think that being compassionate to everyone with whom you meet is something that is exceptional for the Christian to do. At times we may think, well, because that person has treated me this way, I do not have to be compassionate. Or we also can't think, well, I'm just not a compassionate person. All of those are erroneous, false conclusions because God has loved us through Christ with His own compassion. We are now expected to love others with that same compassion. So what we are addressing here is not an exception, not an exceptional quality to be admired by many in the lives of few, but we're actually addressing an expectation. The Scriptures, God's truth expects that we would be compassionate toward one another. So herein, we find the standard by which we measure our love for others. So how do we know we're truly walking in love? Measure your love for others by God's standard. Imitate God, chapter 5, verse 1 says. And what are the specifics of that? Back in chapter 4, verse 32, His compassion and His kindness made known in Jesus. Therein lies Our standard. I I came across this quote from Robert Lavelle that I could not pass up. Listen to this No one can remain apathetic in the face of God's love. It is the most powerful force there is. Love like God, love with His compassion. Now, let's apply this truth for just a moment before we move on to another. Uh, metric. How do we apply God's standard? How does it become the most uh, powerful force that there is? Consider these two words by way of application: compassion and then kindness. The term compassion, straight from the context, is from this uh, Greek word "eusplagnos," which actually is a word. That is uh, an anatomical word. It's it's a reference to the anatomy. In fact, this word in the Greek, the the reason I quoted this word to you is because of the the descriptiveness of the word. Herein is a reference to what you and I might call the gut, or our our deepest feeling uh, and emotion. And so compassion references that stirring inner love that is that is much more than just a superficial expression of benevolence or goodwill or congeniality. No, compassion is is that which stirs deeply and, and comes forth as having been been intentionally felt by the giver. This is truly a mirror of Christ's love for us. Proof of this is in a parable, Jesus told, that is very familiar to most of us. The parable of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, the father of the wayward son, the prodigal son, is described as looking far off and seeing his lost son approaching. Scripture says, describes the parable, the the prodigal's father in this way. The father saw him, felt compassion for him and ran to him. The father saw him far off. And then because the father saw him, he felt something. He felt compassion. That word compassion in the parable is the same here. He felt a moving. He felt a love that would not stand still or be contained. And he ran to his son and embraced him. Another interpretation of this word along with compassion is the expression of tender heartedness we're called to have compassion or a tender heart, a heart that is open so that when you are hurting, my heart is open to your hurt and I take that hurt to be my own. When you're fearful, my heart is open to your fear and I take that to be my own. When you're confused or when you've fallen and made a mistake, I open my heart and I take your circumstance and I make it my own because my heart is tender toward you because my heart has compassion for you. And so all oh, this compassion, this tender heartness is, is a phenomenal demonstration of our standard, our first metric for loving others well. Uh, with compassion, the word ki- uh, uh, kindness is used in chapter four, verse 32, the context of, of our verse. And, and kindness is a word that actually represents the, the, the simple acts of goodness, uh, the, the simple uh, function of, of one's heart. So compassion is the stirring because the heart is open with, with, with a, a, an, an unrestraining love toward the other person. And kindness becomes the practical application of that compassion where we reach out and love others well. So there's the standard. The standard is not, well, let's just try to love as God would have us to love. The standard of loving others is represented by God's compassion and His kindness that He made known in G- in Jesus to us. And if we have received God's forgiveness and His love, we're accountable, we are expected to live out that compassion and that kindness. So there's the standard. Now let me share with you a second metric real quickly. As we read a little further into our text, Ephesians 5 verse 1, we read therefore, which points back to chapter 4, we've established that, but now we read the phrase, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Why are we to imitate God? Well, number one, there is, there's no higher example, but also because of our relationship as his children. It was Augustine who wrote, let the acts of the offspring reflect the nature of the father. We are called to reflect our heavenly father. So the second metric for loving others well comes from the relationship. First, the standard. Second, the relationship. Uh, imitate God as dearly loved children. Now, the, uh, let's look at the truth of this and then the application. Uh, the truth of this imitating God as dearly loved children comes from a word in the Greek, memites. We, which is the word that we, uh, t- transliterate, uh, mimic. The idea here is to imitate, but not to mimic in some, uh, uh disrespectful way, because the idea of, of mimitase here is the proper imitation that arises from ad, admiration of a pattern that is set by someone worthy of emulation. The, the, the imitation The proper imitation that arises from one admiring the pattern that is set by one who is worthy of emulation. This becomes the understanding of of imitating God or or mirroring his love made known in Christ. We. We look unto our Heavenly Father as His children who have been brought in to a relationship with Him through His compassion and kindness. And we understand the relationship we have with God. And so we, we honor and worship Him and we adore Him and we, we receive His love. We, we recognize His pattern of love filled with grace and, and, and mercy and, and continued uh, loving kindness in a, in a covenant spirit that carries us forward. So we, we see God's love there. There's nothing that you nor I have done to earn his love. There's nothing we can do to perpetuate his love. His love is gracious and giving. We see his love. And and so our response as his children should be to copy, imitate, to emulate his love. To others, this is our calling. We're not called to, to mimic the, the latest and cutest meme on Facebook. We're not called to mimic and imitate uh, the, the good, uh, valued uh, acts of humanity. We're called to imitate God and His love made known through His Son. This is our calling. You know, when I look into the Scriptures, I see many, many lives that are so worthy of of being copied and, and emulated, I, I think of some lives in the Scripture, like like Moses, and I love a a, a phrase that describes Moses' heart in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, Moses said to God, God, please forgive the sins of your people. And if you can't forgive them, then blot my own name out of your book. Now, we we don't know Moses' full attitude at the moment, but we do know Moses exhibited an intense loyalty for his fellow Israelites. Oh, how he loved Moses. The people of God, and that expression of love is most worthy of emulating and, and copying. We should all desire to have that loyalty and love for the people of God. Uh, consider David in First Samuel chapter eighteen, verse one. David is described as having an unbelievable relationship with Jonathan. Their relationship uh, exhibited uh, an incredible, endearing brotherlike. Relationship that, that is described in great detail all throughout the chronicles of David's life. And, and we see an amazing relationship of unconditional love, acceptance, protection, and endearment. And most any person would look at David's life and say that type of love, that type of, of consistent companionship and commitment is, is worthy of emulation. It's worthy of mimicking and copying. Or look at the character of Paul. Paul wrote about love. He taught love. Paul, in his conversation with King Agrippa, exhibited a love for, for the lost. Paul, when he was uh, speaking to the Ephesian elders on the island of Miletus, and he was about to to... Uh, move on and, and see them no longer. You can see his love for his for his co-laborers. Oh, Paul had a had an intense love. You you look inside of his words that he wrote to Timothy, and you see his love for his spiritual son. Paul's life shining through the pages of Scripture is certainly worthy of anyone to emulate and copy. But when you look at all of these characters within the Scripture, adding hundreds of others to them, there is such a significant thrust of. Of, of import here, when when Ephesians five one tells us imitate God, don't stop at Moses, don't stop at David, don't stop at Paul, emulate, mimic, copy, uh, follow with with careful consideration God's love, imitate His love. Now, why would the Bible not allow us to be satisfied with imitating these other? characters and lives we see in scripture. The answer is simple. They're not our heavenly father. They may be, they may be our, our progeny and our progenitors. They may have been those who've gone before us. But God, He is one. He's our heavenly father. We should know God as father better than we know the characters of the scripture. But I'm fearful that many people only go so far as copying people they see in the Bible. Because we likely at times know more about Bible characters than we do God as our father. But when we know God as our heavenly father. Oh, there is no question. We will desire to love as he loves. Therein is the truth. So how do we apply this truth? The metric of our relationship as a measure of how we love others. Oh, we are to mirror God's love because we're his children. We are his spiritual offspring. So how do we apply this truth? I'd like to take you on a very quick journey to the small book of 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we see the reality of loving well because we are children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we read this. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called. Do you remember what it says? Children of God. Look at the love He's given us that we would be called children of God. So we apply the relationship standard to our lives, the relationship metric, by first realizing that it was His love that made us His children. So we we are not His children without this great love that we should be mirroring to others. But now notice the... The source of love that comes from that relationship. first uh, John chapter four, verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you, do you hear the expectation, not the exception? Many times we know people who are so loving and we say that person is such a, a loving person and such accolades, I'm certain, are, are deserved by, by, by many. But, but what we are, Uh, seeing in these verses is not an exception that some people manifest. We're seeing the expectation. Love is from God. And if we are of God, we will love uh, as as his love flows through us. And then another verse I will share with you references a test as to whether or not we're truly loving others as children of God, as those who truly know God. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. We need to stop here. If anyone says, I love God, but hates another person or another group of people, that person is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. The the metric of our relationship that holds us accountable to love properly comes forth here so powerfully we cannot say that we are loving people if we we hate people uh, as we consider... Possibly how someone has mistreated us or, or how another person has misrepresented us or, or how there is, is evil that's manifested in other lives. Maybe you develop this angst and this, and this hatred or this resistance or, or even more subtly, maybe you withhold love and, and you wouldn't dare call that hate, but scripture certainly tells us withholding love and hating is, is, is synonymous. And any time that we feel a loss of that compassion toward anyone, we need to deal with this test. How can I say I love God whom I've not seen and hate my brother whom I have seen? Translated, we need to be loving those people closest to us. If we say we love God, that becomes so evident in how we relate to those that are closest to us in our home, in our workplace. Uh, These these are, are, are examples of how our love is, is tested. And so, wow, what an incredible metric uh, to, to love others measured by our relationship with God. We're children of God, and that needs to come forth strongly as we love others. A, a longtime professor of Duke University wrote this, and I have to read this to you. His name is uh, Professor Stanley Hauerwas, and he writes this. You know, we can risk loving as passionately as God loves. We can risk that for we know that the love God makes possible is not scarce and we don't need to reduce it to a little there, a little here, a little drib, a little drab because God's love is, is not a rare commodity. Rather, the more we love with this intense particularity of God's love, the more we discover that we have the capacity to love because of God's love in us. Oh, don't withhold God's love from anyone. This becomes the message here. So at this point, we have two important metrics to to measure how we love others. Uh, The standard of love, God's love in Christ, the compassion, the kindness. And then secondly, our own relationship with God as children of God. Now, here's a final metric. The lifestyle In, in, uh, in retrospect, the standard, the relationship all serve as great metrics. But. But this this would be incomplete if we did not look at that third standard, uh, the lifestyle that that third metric for how we love others. And this uh, this idea, this teaching of lifestyle and love as lived out, comes from uh, the beginning of verse two. And walk in love as Christ has loved us. The word "walk" is from the Greek peripateia, which actually means a comprehensive walking and turning about. This uh, involves uh, the idea of thoroughness. So let's look at the truth of this and then let's apply. Uh, The truth is very simple. To walk in love from that Greek term means thoroughly walking. A comprehensive application of love In every part of our life. So this indicates that our love cannot be compartmentalized. This indicates that our love cannot give way to prejudice or favoritism. It is easy to love the lovable. But Jesus said, the Pharisees, they love those who love them. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The emphasis here is strong wherever you turn in life the love of God in Christ needs to be evident. So we must uh, demolish in our own lives those compartments where we choose to love by preference or prejudice or favoritism. And we must allow love to come forth in every relationship in all of our turnings. Well, this is the emphasis of verse 2. Now let's apply this real quickly before we close. How do we Stop this compartmentalizing love. How do we stop the prejudice that can sometimes take hold of our own hearts? How can we stop the tendency to withhold love from others? Because we don't like what they said to us. We don't like how they act. We don't like how they treat us and others. How can we stop this compartmentalizing? And and notice a very important uh, emphasis here. In no way does the word of God say, look over error without dealing with it. We, We know that we need to deal with error and we need to do that in love. But nothing should retract, reduce, or hold back this compassionate, kind love that mirrors God's love in Christ. That should come forth in every area of our life. This is the message of verse two. So how do we apply this? How do we break down those walls of compartmentalizing love or walls of favoritism and prejudice? Uh, Listen to James chapter two. I think you're going to find this helpful, but also convicting. In James chapter 2, we read this. Now, you really care about obeying the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you if you desire to do that, you're doing well. Uh, James is setting us up for a deeper application. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the entire law yet falls in one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you're a lawbreaker. So regardless of what we think about withholding love or showing favoritism, right here in James chapter 2, the sin of favoritism is held in the same regard as wrong with adultery and murder. Because you see, in murder, someone's life is being uh, devalued. The same in adultery and the same in favoritism. A life is being devalued. In murder and in adultery, not only is life being devalued, but, but life is being discarded and relationships are being discarded. So it is with favoritism. And so the scripture brings a uh, level ground to, to sins that disregard life and destroy relationships. Adultery, murder, those are extreme examples, but nonetheless, very much God's correlation to the sin of favoritism. And so the scripture says, don't show favoritism. Don't say to those who are more like you, sit here, while you disregard those who are not like you. Scripture said, don't do that. Because that's breaking the law, just as adultery or murder would be breaking the law. Don't show favoritism favoritism. This becomes the application of our love as a lifestyle where we love everywhere we walk. What an incredible metric to loving well. Lifestyle love. The lifestyle is that we walk in love everywhere we turn. Whomever we're in contact with should see the love of God in Christ. Compassion and kindness. That's the standard. We imitate God's love. Compassion and kindness. We, we love in this way because this is our identity from the relationship we have with God as his sons and daughters. From the standard to the relationship. And then wherever we walk the lifestyle, we are called to love well. So today, Valentine's Day, I encourage you to love well. But don't just assume you're doing okay with loving others. Measure your love by these metrics. The foundational standard, God's love in Christ. The relationship, you're a child of God. You should be mirroring His love without hesitation. Because you're a product of His love. And then the lifestyle, wherever you walk, love should be demonstrated. David Kelly is the CEO, the founder of the premier design company in our nation, IDEO. As the founder of this company, uh, at age 56, he discovered he had cancer. Uh, his journey into uh, treatment was horrific. There were so many side effects, and and at times, uh, as Kelly would attest, he, he really struggled with pressing on. Uh, he, 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 at times, felt the temptation not to fight against this deadly disease. And then he discovered this. At one moment, he thought uh, maybe his, his sweet little daughter would be motivation for him to, uh, fight so that he could see her grow up. But he found an even deeper motivation than the things in life he might miss if he didn't fight against this disease. Listen to what he discovered as his true motivation to fight. At first, you think, I don't want to miss her growing up. That's motivating, he writes, but it's not that motivating. It's when you manage to get out of yourself and stop thinking about what you might miss and start thinking of her, my daughter, that you get the resolve to continue when you think, I do not want her to not have a father. That's when you fight to stay alive. When you fight to be for that other person what you desire to be for them. Kelly found out in the darkest part of his life that our greatest motivation is is to love others i would not wait until you're facing a crisis to decide that your motivation needs to be how can i be for others what they need now's the time to decide that how can you be for your children what they need you to be how can you be for your husband or wife what he or she needs you to be. How can you be for that person, that close friend or coworker that's difficult to love? How can you be for them what they need you to be? Oftentimes we think, how can that person become what I need them to be? David Kelly writes, that's the wrong motivation. The motivation is, how can I be what they need me to be for them? The greatest motivation that we could ever have is to love others well in the very way that God has loved us. Thank you for joining us for this first uh, section of our teaching series, uh, Walk in Love. I know we're going to have some encouraging days ahead as we continue to, to be reminded of how we are to walk in the love of Christ in every area of our life. I hope you've been encouraged with these truths today. I'd like to pray with you, and then after we pray... Um, there, there is a website location that will be on the screen. Use that to reach out to us. If God has spoken to your heart about what it means to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if God has spoken to your heart about mending relationships, ab- about loving others better than, than possibly you have in the past, and, and you need someone to counsel with, reach out to us. We are just a, a click away on that uh, website address that you'll see there. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you for teaching us these truths. And Father, if we move forward, there's some heavy things here that remind us that at times we're not loving well as we should. So, Father, remind us to love well based on these metrics, these measures that you've given us. And Lord, help us to go forward, loving those closest to us and further out in the way that you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Hey, reach out to us if you need to. We are here for you. And let me say happy Valentine Day. Make this an incredible day for you and those closest to you. See you next week as we continue to learn to walk in love. God bless.